The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. questions you always had, the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Greetings to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, please make yourself at home. To listen to part two of tonight's interview and all of our material going back to 2008, don't miss out and subscribe. It's very simple. All you have to do is click on the subscribe button of our website at veritasradio.com and you'll receive your login immediately. And have you listened to Sanitas Radio yet? Take a look at all the shows we've done so far and all the upcoming guests. You have no idea what these shows can do for you and your loved ones. You will never hear what they have to say in the mainstream media. I guarantee it. Remember, your greatest wealth is your health. Check it out at sanitasradio.com And for MMS or our futuristic metal-cased USB drives with all our seasons and bonus material, go to the Veritas store. To get in touch with us, for member support, media inquiries, suggestions, you want to be a guest or are a whistleblower, click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com And tonight, ladies and gentlemen, our special guest is someone who has investigated just about every possible aspect of the paranormal, the occult, all the mysteries of the world. I'm referring to Brad Steiger. He's a prolific author of 170 books with over 17 million copies in print. His first published article on The Unexplained appeared in 1956, and he has now written more than 2,000 articles with paranormal themes. From 1970 to 73, his weekly newspaper column, The Strange World of Brad Steiger, was carried domestically in over 80 newspapers on overseas, from Bombay to Tokyo. His latest book, co-authored with his wife, Sherry, is titled Real Encounters, Different Dimensions, and Other Worldly Beings. And to me, it is a privilege and an honor to finally welcome Mr. Brad Steiger to Veritas. Hello, Mr. Steiger, and welcome. Hello, Mel. I'm very pleased to be with you tonight. Veritas. Why wouldn't any writer want to be on a program called Veritas? Exactly. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, from day one of creating this radio program, the name Brad Steiger was always mentioned. And it has taken me over five years to finally get the opportunity, the, the privilege to, to have you on. And let me just mention what I said to you offline. Many of our listeners know the story, but years ago I was contacted by a, an estate sale. And they knew me as somebody who was into all these topics. And apparently it was a, an elderly couple who had collected uh, newspaper clippings, hundreds of books, all the way from the 50s until probably the late 80s. So I bought them all. So right now I have 14 mm. of your books right here, including the first one, Strangers from the Skies, and of course your most recent one. Well, that's great. That's great. 
It's making me blush long distance here. Well, I'm really interested in, in knowing how you got to where you are now. Let, let's start with that for those who don't know. Mm, uh, by how you mean what, man? Well, how I got interested? Yes, I know you were a teacher at one point in the 60s. And yeah. I, I know you also had your, your paranormal experiences, which I like to also delve into. At 11 years old, you had a near-death experience. So let's take it all the right. way back right. to the earliest possible. All right. Well, I was born in a haunted house. And it was the old stagecoach stop. And according to local legend, that's where the James gang, Jesse James and Frank and the younger brothers stopped when they were up on the Northfield, Minnesota raid, which was glorified in a movie some years ago. So we had the continuing manifestation of, <laughs> as I joke, Mel, some people were still waiting for the stage <laughs> because we would see people walking around in period costume, which I won't say as a child, I recognize that with period costume, but I recognize them as being unusually dressed from what uh, other adults were at that time. So my sister and I say that we became insomniacs because of the activity that was going on in our bedrooms at night, like people walking through. And, and then there was that eerie feeling. Most people, of course, it was like watching a movie. They didn't pay any attention to us. Now, we couldn't help paying attention to them, but every once in a while, someone would stop and look at us. And that's the eerie feeling, you know, because we realize there's some kind of connection there. And I didn't realize it so much as a child, but I realize it more now that, you know, we probably had a variety of entities and, and spirits and, and psychic residue that, you know, were just somehow impressed in the environment. So that was my beginning. And it, it, it in a sense, served me well because I was never really frightened. I never felt I was going to be harmed. And that kind of, uh, what shall we say, it, it set a pattern that when I went out and began professionally, and I say that we never charged anything for investigating uh, ghost phenomena in anyone's home, but when I did it, uh, you know, I'd write about it. So therefore, it's, I'm calling it professionally. I did gain a living from the books, of course. But it, it, I felt that it was all psychic residue. Somehow, emotions are impressed in the environment. And someone of the proper or like affinity activates them. And when we went to very houses in the beginning, we found that it was a squirrel in the attic or the plumbing. And then when we actually witnessed phenomena, it was of the psychic residue part. We could no more in, interact with them than we could the, the beings on a television set. We just watched them. But then began to encounter phenomena that could push you, might tug at your clothes, might even tug at your hair, and that this was something, well, that's more than psychic residue. And then I found out that you could also anger, 
you could annoy, you could make whatever it was, this energy, actually come after you. Actually, you could actually offend it. You could anger it and be pushed and be lifted. Then I had to start revising. <laughs> I, I realized that there just cannot be dogma in this field. There cannot be dogma in researching UFOs, researching ghosts, researching any type of psychic phenomena. It's obviously, and you make a long list of what it could be, and you probably have to go right down the list and check it can be all of the above, that kind of thing. It's a, whatever this phenomena is, we do interact with it, and it's very much a part of our entire universe. It's a part of who we are. We're a part of it. We are a part of this phenomena. And that was, you know, the beginning. And you mentioned the near-death experience at age 11. That, of course, was very profound for me. I, I was a very pious young lad. <laughs> and everyone assumed I was going into the ministry. And for a time, you know, I, I kind of agreed with that. But after the near-death experience, I saw that although I think it was very important for people to have a faith, it's important for people to have something that they can follow and that gives us uh, a code of conduct and morality. But I saw that as far as denomination, it really made no difference. I mean, we are all one. Those of us who recognize we have spirit probably conduct our lives in a different way. But to have that experience where you're, you're going into the universe. Now, some people mention the tunnel. Some people mention the light. I certainly saw the light. And because I was uh, brought up an evangelical Christian, I assumed that I would see Jesus, if not Jesus, an angel, well, I saw neither one. What I saw, and I, I cannot describe it, and I might sound a little pompous and arrogant for a moment, but you have to listen to what I'm saying and bear with me. I saw instead a series of geometric designs. And whenever I had a question, whenever I thought, I don't want to die, or I don't want to leave my mom, my dad, my friends, and I would see geometric designs that would answer my question. I saw, you know, like the building blocks of the universe, mm -hmm. and then I was shown things and told things, and this is where I'm going to sound pompous, and I don't mean it. I knew for a split second in that area of multidimensionality, I saw everything. I saw the answer to everything. Now, I can't repeat it, I can't tell you everything I saw. I just know and I have known that I was one of those who at least got a glimpse. I can't describe it. I can't say, well, tell me the answer to everything. What's the meaning of life? Just for that infinitesimal moment in this dimension, I was shown, and let me put it this way, that there's a purpose to everything. There's a meaning to everything. Each one of us is important in his or her own way. And most importantly, and I'll repeat myself, I saw that there was a purpose to all of this. I saw that it was possible to have a mission in life. 
And I think those people who have a sense of mission from an early age, and I include myself, are very fortunate. Because whatever strife and tragedy and miserable thing that happens to you, you say, this too shall pass. I am on a mission. I have a purpose. And that has been the power, if I have power, that enters me when I write. Now, Sherry has had the same experiences. She's had three near-death experiences. One was a shark attack in which she was rescued by dolphins. How's that doing in your memory bank? And she had that same sense of mission. Now, she became the very sought-after model. It was the result of a national search for the Marble Girl to go with the Marble Man. Yeah. And she was selected out of all the models in, in, in the universe, so to speak. But she turned it down because she doesn't smoke. And she didn't believe that she should do anything. And she's turned down other parts and other roles. The Excedrin PM girl. She was supposed to be that next. <laughs> and, the Mar- and the Marlboro Man. Mission. The Marlboro Man just passed yeah. away a few days ago from lung cancer, by the way. Yes, yes, yes. We commented on that and we saw it, Mel. But the point I'm making is when you have a mission, as she's done, she's turned all that down. And after Valentino, when I wrote Valentino, which was made into the movie with Rudolf Nureyev as Valentino, oh boy, we want you to, you know, be the next herald. We want you to be, you know, have the big busting bestsellers and so forth, writing, you know, the sexy bestseller. And I said, no. And everyone looked at me askance. I said, I'm writing about the paranormal. (laughs) <laughs> My agent, you know, just about had a, a conniption when, yeah. when I uttered that in a board meeting. But all those things, you know, when you have a sense of mission, you just have to do it. You have to be it. It's, it's, it's a compulsion. It's an obsession. It's a mission. And that explains the now 181 books that I've authored or co-authored. Wow. You know, uh, why is it that people like you, your wife some of our listeners, and even I, we go through this near-death experience early in life, and it's almost as if there's a mission that opens up. Was that was that the, the experience that ignited you, the one that really lit your yes, fire? As, as I say. Um, now, the, an interesting thing is, and I've seen it in print, that uh, I turned my back on the church, I turned my back on Lutheranism and so forth. Now, that was hardly the truth, because I went to a Lutheran school, a Lutheran college. I taught at a Lutheran college. It's just that I saw the strictures that different denominations, whether you're Roman Catholic or any one of the various uh, Christian denominations, if you're Jewish or whatever, in terms of the great now, the great everlasting. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So that's been misinterpreted is that I turned my back on Lutheranism and so forth. No, if anything, I was even more intensified. And I agreed with all the um, elderly ladies in our church that I was going to be a Lutheran pastor. But as I progressed, I, I was, you see, enthusiastic because I can now tell from the pulpit. I can be up in the pulpit and I can tell them, hey, all the promises you've heard, all the promises you've been told since Sunday school, I 
I was there. I was on that other side. I saw the beauty of it because I was taken after I saw all those geometric designs. I went to a beautiful valley, just just an ideal, which I realized was a 11-year-old. That was my what an 11-year-old would probably see mm-hmm. as his heaven. It was a beautiful valley. There was a little uh, carnival going on. There was a popcorn stand. I mean, this was an 11-year-old's idea of heaven. And I realized that it can be different for everyone. But now I can preach from the pulpit the truth of this. And then I discovered that maybe the church didn't want a preacher who would be preaching that kind of doctrine that it doesn't matter, you leave a good life, and that's all it is. I mean, because after all, for the structured church, there's the church to support, there's heating bills, there's missionaries to support in Madagascar, whatever. And I realized that the church is has to be a business, it has to be structured, and that just wasn't for me. So my my church has become my writing my books. Now, Sherry uh, was actually on staff at the Lutheran School of Theology in Chicago, and she made she is an ordained minister, but she made the choice too, you know. And that's when she left, and you know, was offered the Marlboro Girl yeah. you know, <laughs> instead of the preacher woman. But she still has that desire, you know. And and we don't want to be preachers; we just want to be examiners. We want to be explorers, and we invite our readers to explore with us. We are not dogmatic. We simply present and invite people to explore with us. And and I think, and I don't mean to offend anybody who's religious, I was reared Roman Catholic for many, many years. And what uh, brought me here was that I could never get the answers that I wanted. It was always, read the book, the answers are right there. And if they're not there, maybe God intended it to be that way, and I was not satisfied. But not being dogmatic, that's so important because you're basically letting people know, do your own research, follow your own experiences, follow your own mission, which is exactly what seems to have happened with you and Sherry. Mm-hmm. Now, let me make an aside here. Um, I was a journalist. I taught journalism in both high school and in college. And majored, you know, in that field when I was an undergraduate, did my graduate work and so forth in psychology and journalism. And when I began to write books, I wrote the same way I wrote articles. It's just the facts, just the facts. You don't take a side. So my earlier books, you know, presented like a um, doctoral thesis, you know, that the particular experiences. Then people began to ask, well, what about you? So I didn't start right off saying I had a near-death experience when I was 11. I grew up in a house with manifestations that lasted for years. When I was coming home from college, I would still experience, like I said, Mel, it was a stagecoach stop. So about once a week, you would hear at night the sound of phantom coach and horses. Now, as may sound strange, I know what that sounds like, because I grew up when we were still farming with horses. We got tractors when I was a little older, but we all we had. 
Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.